Well, good morning. We are continuing on in our study in the Book of Ruth this morning, so we're in Ruth chapter 1. For those of you that maybe missed the first study, just to do a quick recap, we were looking at this family in the, the Book of Ruth here, and there's a famine in the land where they're staying in Bethlehem. So to flee the famine, they go on a journey to another land, and they set roots in the land of Moab, an enemy nation to Israel, a pagan nation. And what we see is once they settled in that place, it was supposed to be a short time, they ended up settling there and for numerous years they lived in that land. And the woman, Naomi, lost her husband, she lost her two sons, and she's left with her daughter-in-laws. She's destitute, she's got no male to look after them in that society where you needed that male protection. So I'm just going to read from verse 6 as we continue on in our study this morning. It says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her daughter-in-laws with her. And so they went to return to the land of Judah. So again, Naomi is in the land of Moab. She's got nothing. No male. She's got no future. She's got nothing to offer anyone. And what we see is that God allows her to hear of her homeland, that the famine in her own homeland has been lifted. And so she decides she'll go, she'll go back there. She's getting drawn to return back to her homeland. But she's got her two daughter-in-laws with her. And what we see is that the daughter-in-laws decide to go on that journey with her. But if you can just think about Naomi at this moment in time, everything that's happened to her, she's got a very, very heavy weight on her shoulders. She's in despair. She doesn't know what she's going to do, how her future is going to pan out. She's in a situation where she's lost her husband. She's lost her first son. She's lost her second son. She's got no land. She's got no house. She's got nothing to call her own. And we can understand that she's totally uncertain what her future is going to be. So she has got a major, major sense of loss in her life at this moment in time. As she's sitting pondering all this, I'm sure the, the decisions that she's made in the past are coming back to her. You know, I should have stayed in Bethlehem. I shouldn't have left my husband to Moab. Why has all this happened? Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's my decisions. But what we see in the book of Ruth here, that despite some decisions that even we might make that are wrong, God can use all things to his good. And what we see in the book of Ruth is this great restoration that takes place. And God can do that in our lives as well. Restoration can come into our lives when we turn and look to God again. But at this stage what we see is, is Naomi is leaving Moab, going back to her own land. But again, she might be going back to her homeland, but there's no guarantee of success and happiness and things are going to thrive once she gets back there either. She's got to go back to her homeland, but it's not going to be an easy path either. There's still going to be things that are uncertain. She's got no guarantee of being provided for once she gets back to Bethlehem. But what we see is our two daughter-in-laws initially commit to go with her. They start that journey back to Bethlehem. They start leaving the land of Moab. And at this point, on the journey, when they're leaving Moab, Naomi speaks to them in verse 8. And it says, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So as they start on this journey, they're all going back to her hometown, back to Bethlehem. 
And we see that Naomi actually stops me in their tracks and says, you know, don't go with me. You know, leave. You, you go back to the land of Moab. You go back to the house of your own mothers. So she's actually urging them not to continue on the journey with her. And I think when we first look at that account here, we think, Naomi, what are you doing? You know, they're falling with you back to your homeland, back to the promised land where it's, it's not a pagan land, it's a land where where God has promised to the people of Israel, why are you telling them to get back to the, the land of Moab, back to this pagan place that's, that's far from God? But in some aspects, if we think about how, how Naomi's feeling, again, lost her husband, lost her son, she's got nothing. She feels that she's got nothing to offer these two younger women. And in some sense, she's trying in her own mind to be kind towards them. She's trying not to bring them down with her. She feels as if she's been, she's been attacked by God, that all these things have came upon her because of God's judgment. His hand of judgment has been upon her, and she doesn't want that to rub off in her two daughters-in-law. But even saying that, we can still see the character of Naomi coming through in these verses here. We see that Naomi actually lifts these two daughters-in-law up in prayer. She asks the Lord to deal kindly with them, as they had dealt kindly with their husbands and also to Naomi herself. And this word kindly in the Hebrew is hesed, which in the Hebrew language is a very, very rich word. So she's wishing all these things are to do with this word hesed. And if you look that up, it means goodness, grace, loving kindness, mercy, favour, the Lord's blessing. So it's a very, very rich word. So despite her difficult circumstances, Naomi is still praying for all this goodness, all this loving kindness to be upon her daughters-in-law. But still, she feels that she... She is a blocker to that happening in their life. And that's why she's trying to send them back to Moab again and not to go with her. And Naomi realises that these ladies have been good to her. You know, they've looked after her as, as a mother-in-law. They've got a good relationship. There's deep, deep affection between the three ladies here. But in some sense, Naomi is trying not to bring them down with her. It's a bit misguided, but that's surely the character that she has here. So instead of clinging these ladies to her, and the way that she says that, that she's going to bring them down, she's opening her hands out, she's trying to release them, to stop this judgment coming upon them as well. And I think we can take some kind of application out of that, that when we're going through difficult times and hard times, when we feel as if we're being dragged down, a lot of the times what we try and do is we grab on all the other people and we end up trying to drag them down with us. Naomi doesn't want that to happen with her two daughter-in-laws here. She tries to release them. She's got open hands instead of clenched hands trying to pull people down with her. And what we say is that Naomi's hands are open to let the ladies make their choices. She's not trying to make the choice for them. And if we come to God with open hands, a lot of the songs we sang this morning about having, you know, hands open to God. When we have open hands to God, then God can fill an open hand. If it's clenched, we're not giving God the opportunity there. And Naomi's character is right, but our kind of decisions are slightly wrong in these circumstances here. But our heart of hearts, she's trying to do the best that she can for her daughter-in-laws here. So she says, well, go back to your own land, because there you can maybe find a new husband. Go back to your mother's house. Be amongst your own kind and you'll get a new husband quite soon. You can get married, you can have children, you can have a future. But if you go with me, you're Moab ladies. You're going into Bethlehem. They're not going to like you. 
Israel in the Moabites. They were enemies to each other. So if you go to Bethlehem, the chances of you guys getting new husbands, having a, a fruitful wife, is far, far flung between. It's not going to happen. So she's trying to be good and she's trying to be kind to the ladies here. So she tries to convince them to, to go back to Moab, not to go with, with her. And we see, we see them making decisions. We see them making individual decisions in their own life. Verse 10 it says, They say to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. So Naomi tries to convince them to leave, and both of them reply in unison, No, we'll stay with you. We'll return with you to your people. But in verse 11, Naomi speaks again. She says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my room that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons. Would you wait for them until they're fully grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So we see that Naomi, she's thought the whole situation through here, and in her mind there are no options available to her. Full stop at the end of her life, she has no hope. It's as black and white as that. And as she replies back to her daughter-in-laws here in verse 11, she's referring to this kind of Old Testament law of the Levite marriage under the Mosaic law here. And it was that custom where if an Israelite husband died, a brother or a near relative could come to the widow and they could have relations together and the son that would be born would be the deceased brother's son. It would bear the brother's name and not, the, not his name. And we see that whole um, idea of the, the kinsman redeemer in that law here. There would be a kinsman redeemer for, for the family here. So what Naomi is saying here is she's got no sons to marry Ruth or Orpah. And she thinks it's hopeless for them to come with her because there's no near relatives that could then bear sons to continue the family name with them. The family name has come to an end here. But what she doesn't realise is back in her homeland there are some relatives there that could potentially carry out that function. That the family name could be continued on. But for the moment Naomi sees no way out of her situation here. She can't imagine the Lord is going to provide for her. She's got no hope. Husband dead, son one and two dead. No possibility of this Levite marriage taking place where her two daughter-in-laws could have children and continue that family name. And we also see from maybe these verses here, she maybe even feels guilty of the situation that her daughter-in-laws are in. She says at the end of verse 13, It grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is upon me. No, she feels that she is to blame. She made decisions in the past. She left the land of Bethlehem to the land of Moab because of her decisions and her deceased husbands. The daughter-in-laws are now left without husbands, without hope. So that is all in the mix here. I think it's quite quite a funny thing to think of, you know, to think of as us believers we should be out evangelising and telling people about God. And what do we see Naomi doing here? I don't know what the reverse word of evangelising is, but she was kind of un-evangelising her daughter-in-laws here, which seems quite a funny thing. But again, she's grieved for their sakes what's going on in her situation. For their sakes, she thinks that they would have a brighter future staying in the land of Moab instead of going to Bethlehem. 
And I wonder if we've ever thought the same way as Naomi. God's against me. God's doing all these bad things to me. And we look at our circumstances and we think, why God? And like Naomi and her circumstances here, God's not against Naomi. He's not cursing Naomi. He's not trying to pull Naomi down. The same as in our lives, when we go through hard times, difficult circumstances, where things are going wrong round about us, it's not because God is cursing you or God's hand against you. And we'll see it through the, the account of um, Ruth and Naomi here, that God uses all things for his purposes. We'll see that he will redeem all things, and he does have a plan and he does have a purpose, even in the here and now if we are thinking going, there's no way out. It's a full stop. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going. God knows. And behind the scenes, God is working, even if we don't understand it at that moment in time. So verse 14 tells us, They lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So we've got this very powerful moment here, full of tears and snorters and all this kind of emotion going on. Hugs and embraces are cuddling each other. And we see again true, true affection between these three ladies. It was not a case of, that's my mother-in-law, what she like. You know, the old mother-in-law jokes kick in. There was true affection between these three ladies here. So it was quite a kind of tear-jerking situation they were faced with here, with the possibility of them parting ways. The mother-in-law wanted the daughters looked after. That's the reason why she's trying to send them back to Moab. But the daughter-in-laws get such affection to Naomi, they kind of want to cling to Naomi and stay with her. Naomi is giving them a free will choice. She's saying, you know, go back. I'm giving you the option to go back. You don't need to stay with me out of guilt. She's giving them the free choice to do that. A chance to start over, find new husbands, find a new family. And we see when they make their decisions, we see the difference that comes out between the two of them. Orpah, although she's got this genuine affection for Naomi, she kisses her mother-in-law, she turns her back and she walks back to Moab. She turns her back from the way that Naomi's going and leaves her and goes back to her old life and her old land. And we looked at the first time the land of Moab was the land of compromise. And spiritually speaking, it was a land against God. Their whole nature, their worship systems against the God of Israel. So she turns her back from the path to the promised land and goes back to the land of compromise. And we can even think, you know, there's many orcas amongst us, but there's not many roofs. There's many who follow God for a short time, start the path to the promised land, they go a few steps and they think, no, this isn't good. There's too much to give up here. My future's not soon. I don't know what I'm doing. And they return back to the worldly way of life. But Naomi, she is a, she's the daughter-in-law watching this. And she watches Ruth making this monumental decision. And she says in verse 15 to Ruth, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah had kissed her mother-in-law and left, but Ruth had kind of held on. She was still staying beside Naomi's side here. And Ruth stays with Naomi. This pagan, Moabite widow stays with Naomi, cleaves to her side and doesn't leave her. When we think about Orpah turning her back and Naomi and going back, the scripture of Hebrews 10.39 kind of popped into my head and it says, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of our souls. 
What did, what did Orpah do? She started off in the, the path to the promised land. She hadn't fully made it there, but she drew back. She drew back back into the land of compromise. She drew back from the spiritual life. And that's what we need to be careful of. And when we speak to people about our God, when we evangelise people, if we share our faith, we need to actually lead them to the promised land. Their feet planted there so as they give their heart and their commitment to God. We need to be those who believe to the saving of the soul and lead people to that point as well. So it's the same for these women as it is for people giving their hearts to God today. They need to make a decision and follow through with it. We've got a scripture in Joshua 24:15. Choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your father served on the other side of the river are the gods of the Amorites in whom, whom land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Orpah chose which God she was going to serve. She went back to the God of her fathers. She made that decision. But what is Ruth going to do here? And we see a clear difference between Ruth and Orpah. And when I was doing the study here, I can't remember which commentator can have come up with this idea, but I thought it was very good. And it says that Ruth and Orpah represent two different members of the church. Professors and possessors. Professors and possessors. So Orpah we could consider as being a professor. She professed some kind of commitment and started the journey towards the promised land, but didn't make it. She gave up before she reached that point. But Ruth we will see as the one in possession of true faith. She actually possessed the faith in the God of the Israelites and she committed herself to that. And I wonder if in your own life you've came across people who have professed to be believers. They walked with God for a wee while but then suddenly one night you kind of, oh, where have they went? You've not seen them or heard from them. They've not been at church, they've not been in fellowship meetings. And we can bring up Matthew 13, 20 to 21, that scripture there which says, But he who received the seed in stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, he endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. What did Orpah do? She started off for a little while, a very short journey, but then she stumbled and she went back. When we see people in our life, when they give a commitment to God, they go for a wee while, stumble and fall back. We need to ask the question, where has their commitment been? Have they truly made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? Were they born again by the Holy Spirit? We can't answer that. All we can do is support that person, encourage them and try and build them up in the word of God and in their faith. We can't write somebody like that off because we don't know the relationship that they have with God. But we should be helping these people to make sure they continue on in their faith and spur them forward. But Orpah didn't. She just totally went back again. And we see it's one thing to profess faith, to say out our mouth that we have faith, but it's the actions that actually show what our true faith is like. We go back to the book of James, you know, Word and deed need to go together. We're not saved by our works, but our works show our faith. Works and faith go together. And it's quite easy to be committed to God when things are going well, when life is happy, when the birds are tweeting in the trees and we're walking about feeling all shiny and happy people. But as soon as hard times hit, an illness, a death, something major happens in our life, that's the kind of rubber meets the road point. 
What do we do? Are we like Orpah? Do we turn our backs and turn our back on God? Or do we actually continue on with him through the tribulation, through the strife, and cling to God in that situation? And we see that Ruth, she makes a choice to stay. She's got faith in God for the future. Orpah didn't trust God for her future in the promised land in Bethlehem. So she just stood where she was and went back to her old life, back to that land of compromise. But again, we can be quite harsh and Orpah here, no, she made a bad decision. She shouldn't have done that. She should have went with Naomi. But again, if we read the account here, Naomi's giving her like umpteen, you know, go back. No, again, go back. No, you're not staying with me. Go back. And what we say is Orpah's actually listening to Naomi. Naomi's giving her kind of advice. And Naomi has li- Orpah has listened to Naomi's advice and went back. And what we see here is that she's kind of taken her mother-in-law's counsel. What we need to be careful of when we are the, the more mature one, when we are trying to counsel other people, that we counsel them in the correct direction. Naomi should have been pointing her towards Bethlehem, towards the promised land, towards the God of the Israelites, the one and only true God. Instead, she pointed Orpah back the way. We need to make sure that as the believers, we are pointing people in the correct direction. So we can look closer at these decisions of Ruth and Orpah in this book here, and we can take encouragement in the fact that sometimes we think, you know, we're doomed to, to make the wrong decisions. We're fleshly people, we're doomed to make the wrong decisions. How can I constantly make the correct decision? And what we see here is Ruth makes a fantastic commitment here to Naomi and to the God of Naomi as well. She chose to cling herself to her mother-in-law despite the circumstances around her. She chose to do God's will over seeking her own comfort. And we can look at Philemon 2 verses 3 to 5 which says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. For Naomi, she's standing beside Ruth. Ruth's looking at her and thinking, you know, I'm going to follow you back to the land of Bethlehem. I'm following you and my mother-in-law. But what hope have I got? Have I got hope of a family? No. Have I got hope of having children? Probably not. Have I got hope of a nice house and a farm and things are going to go well? Probably not. But Ruth still makes the decision to stay with Naomi because she was putting Naomi's life and her thoughts and feelings before her own. She actually was putting Naomi in front of her. In lowliness of mind, she was esteeming somebody else more than herself. In our own lives, how many times have we actually put other people before us? We might do it in small things, but in really important things. Do we? Do we really? Or do we kind of make the wee decision in our head? We think about it and think, nah, I'll just have my way, thank you very much. We see that Ruth wasn't like that. Ruth actually esteemed Naomi better than herself. She had a sacrificial love for her mother-in-law. And in the account here, it says that Ruth clung to Naomi. And it's a Hebrew word which I'm not even going to try and pronounce. But it's used for the closeness between a husband and a wife. That's how close a relationship they had with each other. How much affection and love they had for one another. And Ruth had courage to cling to her mother-in-law and had hope for the future when they were both together. So today, we are called to make that correct decision for God as well. You know, 
we need to have the willingness to leave the known things of this life and to go forward into the unknown, having hope that God is by our side and that God will see us through. Let's think of Ruth following Naomi and the God of Naomi here as well. Ruth has obviously watched and been involved in the life of Naomi, her mother-in-law. They've had interactions together. Ruth has maybe even heard Naomi speaking about her God, what her God has done in the past, all the accounts of what her God has done in the Israelite nation. And we see at some point that Naomi has obviously seen something in Ruth as well. Something has been birthed in Ruth. I wonder if at one point there's been a seed of faith planted in Ruth's life. And now is the point that Ruth has to make a decision. And that little seed bursts into fruition. And we see that Ruth follows the God of Naomi. There's something real in the God of Naomi that Ruth sees. And she makes a decision for Naomi, but also a decision for Naomi's God as well. And if we think about the Moabite people, they were pagan. They had many, many gods. Um, They followed the Baals and Shemoth and had the kind of infant sacrifices and things going on in their land. So if we can compare the kind of pagan gods to the one true God of Israel, Ruth must have seen this major difference. Naomi must have been speaking about the God of Israel and she's seen the kind of character of that God come through and she's compared it against her family's gods and she's seen a difference and she's been drawn towards the one true God. And although Naomi hasn't been perfect, Naomi hasn't lived a perfect life. She's made bad decisions or um, misguided decisions. We see that through the life of Naomi, a convert is still made through the person of Ruth. And it gives us hope as well, doesn't it? That although we don't live perfect lives, we sometimes make stupid decisions. Through our lives, if we are still cleaving to God, that converts can still be made through our lives as well. Naomi was open and raw and honest. We need to be open and raw and honest in our faith as well. We see that Orpah took the comfortable path back to the familiar, but Ruth takes the path of faith, clinging to God and hoping in God for the future. In verse 16 it says, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you in me. So we see Ruth makes this heartfelt, sincere, devoted commitment to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And she also fully embraces the God of Naomi as well. So clinging to Naomi the person, but clinging to Naomi's God also. And it's quite a kind of marked difference. If you compare the statements here in verse 16 onwards to the statement of verse 10, Ruth and Orpah in verse 10 both said that they would return to your people. Okay, Naomi, you want us to come with you? We'll return with you to your people. But here Ruth makes that, that change. I will go. Your people will be my people. She changes her heart. It's not about, you know, I'll just follow you and what you're doing. No. Your commitment, who you're following, I'm going to follow the same thing as well out of my own heart's decision. Ruth's heart has changed. She has been converted at this point. So she commits to follow, to lodge with, to fellowship, to worship and to die with Naomi. Is that an easy commitment to make to somebody? Definitely not. 
and we see in our lives as Ruth is making that commitment to Naomi and to Naomi's God, we need to make that commitment to our God as well. We need to constantly lodge with our God daily, lodge with our God, have him with us all the time to recognise that and take trust and faith in that fact. We need to fellowship with him the same as Ruth has got to fellowship with Naomi's people. We need to worship God and we need to faith that we are going to die with God as well. That is the deep feeling of commitment that we should have with our Lord. So Ruth has obviously witnessed the God of Naomi, the God of Israel, at some point in the past. And this seed, as I said, has been birthed. That she has came to the point where your God is going to be my God. Your people is going to be my people. She's made that commitment in her life here. But at this point, Ruth has got no idea the impact that that decision is going to make. She's got no idea the impact that decision of faith is going to have in the ongoing story of redemption that we will read of in the book of Ruth here. What we'll see is that due to this decision that she's made as she returns back with Naomi, we'll see that she will eventually meet a man. And that man's going to bring about that whole story of restoration. And at some point, Ruth is going to become the great-grandmother to King David. That her name is going to be in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. That her name is going to be on one of these books of the Bible that we have here. All due to the fact that she made a self-sacrificing decision to commit to somebody else, to follow them, and to have faith in the future, and to have faith in God. When we do that, when we make the same types of decisions, great can be our future as well. In verse 18 it says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. So Ruth gives us great commitment to Naomi, you know, your God's going to be my God, your people, my people, nothing but death is going to separate us two. And when Naomi heard that out of Ruth's mouth, it said that she stopped speaking to her. It wasn't a case of, but if all out here, I'm not speaking to you anymore, but basically Naomi thought, I'm not arguing anymore. I've given you multiple opportunities to make your decision to go back to the land of Moab if you wanted. I've given you ample opportunity that you have made this commitment to me and to my God. And so she stops trying to convince Naomi Ruth to do anything different. So they start their journey together back to Bethlehem, possibly a week's journey, something like that, and a hard journey. And eventually they arrive back to Naomi's homeland. And in verse 19 it says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? So the whole town was excited to see these people come into their town. I'm sure it would be quite a large crowd. that momentum would gather. The whistles would go, No, this is, this. This is Naomi coming back. The Chinese whistles would go round the town and a big crowd would be waiting and watching for them coming down the path into the town here. Bear in mind, you know, today we can keep in contact with people all around the world. You know, no distance can separate communications that we have with one another. But back in this day there was no emails, no Facebook, no Twitter, nothing like that. So over ten years ago, Naomi and her husband Elimelech with her two sons had left. Left the land of Bethlehem to the land of um, Moab. Nothing had been heard of them since. So the kind of whispers of the Naomi coming back would start reaching the town and think, I wonder what, what they've been doing, what's happened to them, why are they coming back, how's their life been? All the questions would be kind of circling around there. The town would be excited 
and very, very nosy to find out what had happened to this family here. So they want to hear what has happened to Naomi. And they see her walking into town. Naomi walks into town, accompanied by this pagan Moabite woman, this lady Ruth. And they ask her questions. In verse 20 she says to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out the fool, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So first of all, she starts telling the people, don't call me Naomi. Her name meaning pleasantness or sweetness. I'm not pleasant, I'm not sweet. I've had a hard life, I've had a bitter life. Things have been terrible. Since I left this town here, my life has been rubbish. The things that God has done to me have been terrible. And she says, call me Mara, Mara meaning bitter. That should be my name because I'm a bitter woman now. I'm older and bitter and my life has been hard. And I can even kind of think of, you know, as Naomi is standing in front of those people, her hometown, all those people are looking at her and she's looking at them. She's maybe looking at people her age and they're standing there, their husbands beside them, their sons and daughters are maybe beside them, their grandchildren are there and she's looking at them thinking, that should have been me. I've lost my husband, I've lost my sons, I've not had any grandchildren. Man alive, am I bitter? This is what I've missed out on here. And for Naomi, it's a kind of question mark moment. Just as we read the Psalms, you know, in the Psalms there's all the struggle, there's calling out to God, wondering where God is, God, why haven't you come through? That's a kind of common theme through a lot in the Psalms. This is Naomi's question mark moment. Why? Why has this happened to me? And at this moment she sees no pleasantness in her life at all. All she can see is despair and hopelessness. But what we can see is, although things are bitter for Naomi now, they would become sweet again. And we can look at the account of Exodus to the waters of Mara in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 onwards. And in those verses we're told, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to the water of Mara, they could not drink the waters, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. The people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So like the bitter waters in Exodus here, we've got this self-named woman, Mara, and her life, although bitter just now, would be made sweet again. The tree in Exodus here, the, the, the sweetness of the water was made by a revelation and an action of God on the water. And it's a picture of what God can do in our lives. God can give us a revelation. He can have an action in our lives that can make the water sweet again. Because of the tree, because of the cross of Calvary, God gives us that sweetness into our lives. Whatever the bitter circumstances, the hard obstacles that we come across in our life's journey, God can and God will redeem them and use them for his good and for the good of our lives as well. We can name all the matters that we might have in our life. We can commit them to God and take trust and take faith that God can do something with them. He can make them sweet enough that we can drink them, that we can cope with the bitterness that we have in our lives. We can drink them and we can survive with them. And he can use that bitterness as a resource for our next leg of our journey, that he will use it for good to strengthen us.
interestingly here, even in this moment here, despite her circumstances, despite all the loss that she's had in the past, she still declares that she has a faith and a knowledge of God. She says, you know, the Lord has testified against me, the Almighty has afflicted me. She still says, my God. I'm aware that my God is here, my God is doing things, my God is in action. She might not fully appreciate what has happened, but she still has faith in the God of Israel. And it also seems that Naomi isn't really blaming God for what has happened. She's just saying, no, God, this has happened. It's been difficult. I don't understand it. She's not complaining, but she's still bitter because she doesn't know what to do at this point. And what we can understand is that God can and does work in ways that we don't see and he works in ways that we don't understand. But all situations, God has his hand upon them. All situations, God knows what he's doing and God has his hand upon them as well. We need to cling to him just as Ruth clung to Naomi. So verse 23, just to end us up, it says, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess and her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So, a couple of verses before, Naomi said that she'd left and they came back empty. She came back empty, she says in verse 21. But yet, she's returned with somebody different. She's returned with this woman here. What about Ruth beside her? The person that left everything, left everything for her, for her alone. What about her? Naomi should have seen a blessing in having Ruth by her side. But despite her bitterness, that bitterness kind of clouded her judgment. She didn't see that that woman beside her was a blessing in her life. Naomi fails to see that Ruth there is going to bring out a great outcome to their situation. That through Ruth, things are going to get turned around. From this woman, from a pagan person, a pagan Moabite woman, the redemption story is going to actually kick in, and it's going to be because of her things are going to turn around again. And that gives us some hope. As the people of Bethlehem would look at Ruth, they're looking at this woman. You're a pagan. You're a Moabite. Moabites, you're harlots. You're a prostitute. Our country's against your country. We don't like you. You're going to have, no, you're going to have no, no peace in this land here. So they could be looking at her and thinking, you're a despised person. We're never going to accept you. And as we go through our life, do we ever feel as if we're not going to be accepted? That we're lowly, we're despised, nobody likes us. We're looked over, passed over. And what we see here is that God is using the passed over person, the despised person, to bring about his redemptive story. Us in our lives, we can be that person as well. God can use us to bring about his redemptive story in somebody else's life. Our lives aren't perfect, like Naomi, but still converts can be made through us. So Ruth, she is the one who truly had came with nothing. Ruth was the one that came with faith in God and faith in Naomi with empty hands. And we see here that tragedy will get tri- turned into triumph when God gets to work and he can do the same today. If you get tragedy in your life just now, cling on to God. Keep your trust and your faith in him and you will find triumph in the end of it. He will give you enough strength to deal with the situation that you're going through just now. And the hope here is that they returned from the country of Moab to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Harvest in the Bible 
symbolic for a blessing, a period of blessings. That is a glimp, a glimmer of hope. And as we get to the next chapter, we see the hope actually comes to fruition. That they meet somebody who's actually going to lead them down that path of redemption. So to end us up, like Ruth and Orpah, we have a choice to make as well. Do we cling to God? Do we make that daily commitment to him? Do we constantly cling to him despite what's going on round about us? Or like Orpah, do we come across a decision point and we go, we can go God's way or we can go the way of the world? Which are we going to choose in our daily lives? And likewise, if we've got a group of friends round about us, Ruth committed to Naomi. She put Naomi's needs above her own needs. She had a self-sacrificial friendship and love for her mother-in-law here. Who in our sphere, the people that we are involved with, can we put before ourselves? Who can we serve with a self-sacrificial love and show the love of God in that situation there? We need to be the types of people that have friendships that cling on despite hard times that come into our lives, despite hardships or or skirmishes that we might have within our friendship groups. So we get that account here from Ruth and Orpah. There's decisions to be made. What are our decisions going to be? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words here in the book of Ruth. We thank you, Lord God, for these words recorded here, for this beautiful and heartfelt commitment here that we read of with Ruth and Naomi. We ask you, Lord God, to help us to be the types of people that can commit to one another, Father God. That we can put other needs above our own needs, Father God. That we can lift other people up before ourselves. We pray, Lord God, that you help us to continue on that path to, to the promised land. You help us to stay in the narrow path that leads to eternal life. And not to step off from it, Father God. Help us, Lord God, through the, through the strengthening of your Holy Spirit to... to commit daily decisions to you, Father God, to meditate on what we've got to do, Lord, to to read your scriptures, Lord, and to make decisions based on your truths. We ask, Father God, for your forgiveness when we have turned our back on you, Lord, when we've returned back to the things of the world instead of going forward in the things of the kingdom. We ask you, Lord God, to bring people across our paths, Lord, that we can share the one and true God with. Lord God, you don't ask us to be perfect. You just ask us to share our faith with others, Father. And like Ruth became a convert under Naomi, Father God, help us to find people that can, that can find the, the one and true God through our witness and through the, the working of the Holy Spirit on their lives. Lord God, just plant these words deep within our spirits, Lord, and help us to bring them to remembrance whenever we need them. We just commit this to you, Lord, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.